Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. All right, the stock market in the tank right now, down 550 points. That's all primarily because the chairman of the Federal Reserve uh, said that Congress and the White House are going to need more money to sort of boost the economy. And he talks in great detail about the problems that businesses, particularly small and medium-sized businesses, are having right now and are going to have as they try to recover. To that point, there was a fascinating piece in the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post of all places today talking about the huge impact that the last two months have had, particularly on Main Street America and small businesses. Um, I, I've got a link to it. If you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 I've got a link to the story. Um, it, it just it talks about the real-world impact of what is going on when we've had, number one, the government-enforced closures that seem erratic at best. This business gets to stay open, but this business doesn't. This gets, business gets to have 500 people in it. This business gets to have five people in it. This sort of erratic approach and the real-world impact that this is having. In Wisconsin, there's about 500-plus thousand people who've lost their jobs, filed for unemployment. And, again, that's that's not an insignificant number, and sometimes it gets lost in I don't know all the concern that we have about safety, which is where I I want to start our conversation today. I am a a do-the-math guy, and I think sometimes we... When, when you, you turn on the television news at night and, and you see the, the charts saying, okay, these are the number of people who've died of coronavirus, and that chart just, just keeps going up. And, of course, it has to go up because, you know, it, it's adding. You know, you start with one, and now I think we're at 419 or something like that. You know, it's going to it's going to go up. So you, you see those types of things. The number of people who've been diagnosed with coronavirus in Wisconsin, and right now it's about 10,800, ballpark. And, and, again, the number goes up. It starts at was one. And now it's zero. So you just look at this chart that looks like it's an airplane you know, taking off into the sky. And that's all well and good. But you look at this, and sometimes it's easy to lose perspective. So I, I want to start off with that, and then we're going to launch into the first thing I, I want to talk to you about. Um, in Wisconsin, again, I'm a do-the-math guy. So I think we have to have some perspective, because I think sometimes we have lost perspective here. There are 5.8 million people in the state of Wisconsin. And I'm not talking about New Jersey or New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco. I'm talking about the state of Wisconsin. In the state of Wisconsin, there are 5.8 million people, ballpark. Um, As of yesterday, there had been 10,785 positive cases of COVID-19. 10,785. That's total, out of 5.8 million. That means... 
your chances, since this has all been going on, your chances of contracting COVID-19, coronavirus, in Wisconsin, 0.00185%. That's, you you, you got a better chance, just so we put it in perspective, of winning the 50-50 raffle on a crowded day at Miller Park. Okay, so 0.00185%. Now, Let's look at the people, of that 10,785 people who come down with coronavirus, let's look at where a lot of that is. Would it be fair to say that of that 10,785 people, at least 2,000, probably at least 3,000, either have worked in the meatpacking industry, because we know that's more than 1,000, or live or work in senior facilities, whether it's nursing homes or, uh, again, the senior living facilities or or whatever. That's probably at least 3,000 and probably more. But let's be conservative. Let's take out the people that worked at the meat plants that caught coronavirus. Let's take out the people who lived in the the senior facilities. So we're going to use the number of 3,000, although, like I say, that's small. But all right, that gets us down to 7,785. You divide that by 5.8 million, and again, if you're not in one of those facilities, or you're not working at one of those facilities, or you're not working on a line at a meat plant, your your chances of getting COVID-19 go down to like 0.0013%. Now let's focus on on deaths, which is, I think, a, a very, very significant factor. How many people are dying because of this? Well, there's been 419 deaths as of yesterday. That is tragic. It is unfortunate. We know something that we didn't necessarily know two months ago. We now know that the people who have the, who are most likely to die almost exclusively fit into certain categories. They're almost exclusively all over the age of 60, and it gets more likely as you get older. And also, they have underlying health issues going on with that, whether it's hypertension or heart disease or diabetes or obesity and things like that. And then, of course, you get somebody who's in their 80s that has multiple concerns like that, and their, their risk goes up. 419 deaths right now, as, at least as of yesterday, out, out, re- resulting in corona, from coronavirus. That is 0.00072%. It, it is incredibly remote, which is good. I mean, it's good that those numbers are like that. But I bring this up to offer some perspective when we now start contrasting what we are doing to to people um, who 500,000 people who have been unemployed, who are going to be trying to figure out how can we get our businesses back open? How can we make our mortgage payments when we have to start making mortgage payments? How can we make our rent payments? It's just, you, you kind of do the math and it gives you some perspective on this. And again, I'm, I, I'm a do the math guy and I look at risk. What is your risk of catching this? What is, especially if you don't work, you know, in a meat plant, you don't live or have contact at the senior living facilities, which case, obviously, you need to take more precautions. But, you know, what what is the chance that you're going to get this? And what is the chance that you're going to have a really bad result from this? And then we kind of make the decisions, which brings me to where I, I want to start. Uh, during yesterday's program, we were talking about restaurants. And we just did a, a segment about I, how I said that 
once restaurants start to open up for in, indoor dining, I'm going back. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to every one of them. I expect that there's going to be, you know, again, a, a way that you maintain the social distancing. Am I going to be running into a place that has, you know, 300 people crammed into a crowded bar and everybody's passing stuff out? No. But, you know, some of the restaurants that I like, that, you know, they space out the tables and things like that. Will I go? Yeah, I, I will. And I'm, I'm not going to have any hesitation about going at all. So I got an email, and, and this, in contrast to some of the feedback I get that's sort of like nasty and all you want is people dying, I can't stand you, you know, I'm never listening again, and then they send you another note the next day. But but this was, it was kind of thoughtful, and I want to share with you a portion of it. Um, hello, Mr. Wagner. I realize you need to have topics to be able to discuss, but there are times when I wish you would not just interject what you think about the topic without covering all the consequences of those thoughts. If you choose to take the risk, of course, that is your choice. It is unimaginable how many of your followers followers, only think in the I want stage and not see the bigger picture. Today's topic of would you eat in a restaurant when they allowed are allowed to reopen was one of the moments where I just do not understand those who do not see a bigger picture. I support our restaurants with carryouts and will continue to do so. People are showing all over the state how many are ignoring and frustrating business owners who are trying to be responsible and filing following guidelines. Um, da, 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 da. Have you thought about how the airflow in a restaurant could infect one eating, even appropriately distance. So I presumably mean because you've got like air conditioning and you've got like a circulation system that somebody in one corner of the restaurant might be sick and that would somehow get distributed to some other part of the restaurant. Have you thought about how airflow in a restaurant could infect one's eating appropriately distance? I'm not sure this was discussed today, but I'm offering a link which does discuss this risk. I am not sure how many uh, who follow your words will take this to heart, but I would hope you would let your followers know about the additional risks from choices we make. Thank you for your time and allowing me to interject what I consider a logical reason to avoid indoor restaurants once they can open until we can be vaccinated. All right, so she's saying, look, here, here's my concern. I, I'm, I'm worried that you've got this indoor air system and that somebody with with COVID-19 could be sitting in one corner of the restaurant and then, I don't know, it, it could just get like picked up and it could end up in the other end of the restaurant and there you, you have somebody that, that gets sick. And so I'm not eating in a restaurant until there is a vaccine, which could be a year away. It could be five years away. It could be 10 years away. Okay, our, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, everybody has to make their own decisions about risk. I, I, I respect that. And I understand that there are some people who aren't going to go out of their houses at all because they don't want to take the risk that somehow they might get get infected. And and I, I respect that. At the same time, there is unreasonable risk. Let's jump out of that airplane without the parachute. And then there is is reasonable risk, given that even right now, there is a very, very remote chance that you will get COVID-19. There is an even more statistically astronomical chance that if you get COVID-19, you are going to have a bad result if you're not in one of these high-risk categories. And then the idea that, well, now, I I don't even want to be inside with other people because this is going to get picked up and and maybe get transmitted across the restaurant. 
yes, I guess in theory is all this stuff possible, but from a risk perspective, yeah, I, I, I repeat what I said yesterday. I'm willing to go back into restaurants as soon as they open up, as long as they have taken what I consider to be reasonable precautions. And what you consider to be a reasonable precaution might be a little bit different than me, but I, I'm not, not going out in public until you get a vaccine because I refuse to live the next year, two, three, four, five years of my life like that on the statistically remote chance at least at this point, that I, I, I might catch a, a virus and have a really bad result. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, individuals have to assess their own risk levels. And if you don't feel comfortable going out, go with God. That's okay. I, I understand that. And as I've said before in this program, I have a couple friends who are in various high-risk categories. And, and I think their behavior is going to be changed dramatically over the, the course of, of the next year or two. But on the other hand, if you're an otherwise healthy 40-some-year-old or 50-year-old or an otherwise healthy 30-year-old, right, are, 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 we, are we really not going to go out into public and not patronize places until you get a vaccine? 855-616-1620. Back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Susie in Wauwatosa. Hi, Susie. Hi, Jeff. Um, I'm ready to have things open back up. Um, I told your screener probably what I would do is maybe be a little more cautious, maybe carry hand wipes around, maybe keep my mask in my... In my purse in case, you know, I'm in a larger crowded store or something. But for the most part, I'm ready to get back at it. Um, I just feel like there's always going to be some threat out there. And we just can't continue to shut down and avoid everything. Well, yeah. I mean, and I guess that that's and, – and see, and I, I think you're on to something. I mean, I think this, this whole idea of social distancing, I, I think people get it. I'm not saying everybody does, but I, I don't – I don't see people, I don't imagine a situation where you're going to have 300 people piling into a crowded bar like you typically would have had on a typical St. Patrick's Day. I think people will find their own comfort levels, and businesses are are going to find their own comfort levels. And that's why I don't know that we need the governor telling people that you can only have five people in this giant store. Maybe it's let the store owners operate, let them set their own rules, and let them find out what where different people are comfortable with. And if people are comfortable going back to restaurants, great. If they're not, well, stay at home. More room for the rest of us. Yeah, I think that's key, Jeff, too. Just letting people make their decisions and, uh, you know, with, with the information that we have, being able to let us decide for ourselves what we're comfortable with and what the smart thing is for us and our families to do. It's time to time to start opening back up it's been a long eight weeks no thanks for call Susie I appreciate it and again one of the reasons I I look at the math of all this and some people will say well don't don't you understand if if we hadn't have shut everything down these numbers would have been much more dramatic well okay the the numbers I think the numbers would have been higher how much more dramatic I I don't I don't know I know they had these um, these uh, sort of like very, very dire numbers based on some bogus study that was come out that they came out with at the very beginning. I, I mean, I, I, I don't I don't know. Would it be a little bit more? Yes. But people, I think, get the whole notion of, of the whole social distancing thing. And it is 
it, you, you can't argue with the fact that if you're measuring this in terms of the worst outcomes, we now know what we didn't know two months ago. We, we know that it's essentially if you're measuring this by, by deaths, which is you know, the, the worst outcome uh, imaginable, we're talking about you know, trying to focus on, on keeping this out of the situations where those who are the most vulnerable might contract it, which is why I, I think you're going to have to impose and maintain really, really strict requirements moving forward on senior living facilities and nursing homes of the things of the like. Concentrate on keeping the disease out of there. And what you're going to find is that, okay, that the death totals aren't going to increase dramatically. At least that's our experience. Dan in McGuanago. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I'm a mask guy, too, and I was in a restaurant business a long time. Thank God I'm not anymore. I just feel for yeah. these people. It's, it's Once you reduce the capacity of a restaurant, you only have meal periods of a certain length of time. And what, you need to fill them seats and turn them to make money because yep. the air conditioners go and the coolers are, are you know, burning energy. I don't know how they can possibly make it. And carryout's not going to cut it, you know? I, I just don't – it's almost a hopeless situation for most operators. Well, you know, it's interesting that this article I, I sent out on Twitter kind of makes that point, not just with restaurants, but a lot of small businesses, that if you have these – if you have limits as to, you know, on, on their capacity, it, it really doesn't make any sense in many cases to open up the store because you can't you can't make it. To, to your point, if, you know, your restaurant capacity is 100 and you can only have 25 or 30 people in, you're, you're not going to be making enough money to cover your costs with your margins, so you're really no better off. And, and that's that that's going to kill a lot of businesses. I think you're, you're right. exactly right. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna have to be willing to pay more money, and I, I certainly am. You know, I, I don't want to see all these places go under. It's just it's just horrible. No, it is. No, thanks thanks for calling. I pre- no, you're you're exactly right. That's one of the reasons why, for example, um, you know, a lot of restaurants, even though they've been allowed to do carry out, they they've chosen not to do it because. They, they can't make enough money to do it. The, the fact that, uh, okay, maybe you know, 40% of their revenue comes from the bar. Okay, well, now the bar is closed down. And the profit margin on whatever that is that on, on their fish fries or whatever is X amount. But it, it just, they're not going to be able to sell enough takeout orders over a two-day period to make it worth firing up the kitchen and buying the product and doing all that stuff. I mean, that's, that's one of the realities of the things that are out there. But, again, I, I just I go back and I look at this. And I understand that there are people out there who want absolute safety, who don't want to be exposed to any sort of risk a- at all, who are you know, afraid that they might catch this virus, even though the chances of that statistically are not great. But that's all right. I, I get it. You want to be safe. I respect that. But there's an all there's a universe of other people out there who are willing to take some of those chances, and as long as you can do it without overwhelming the healthcare system, which so far hasn't happened and it hasn't come close to happening. I mean, I don't know. Aren't we getting to this point where, hey, if I'm willing to go back to the dentist and have my teeth cleaned, yeah, let let me go back to the dentist and and have my teeth cleaned. If I'm at a point where, gee, I'm way overdue for a regular checkup with, you know, my doctor to, to monitor blood levels or whatever, shouldn't I have the right to take that risk and be able to do that? Let let's Let's start opening up the state and allowing people to take the risk as long as it's not an unreasonable risk. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
Southeastern Wisconsin, well, open for business, at least some business. During these unprecedented times, it's more important than ever to support local businesses. Amen to that. Head to WTMJ.com right now, and you'll find a We're Open link on the homepage. On the homepage, you'll see a list of businesses in your community where your family, your friends, and neighbors are open for business. If you're a business owner, you can head to WTMJ.com to add your business as well. Open for business from WTMJ. All right, one more restaurant-related topic, but it's a larger, it's, it's a kind of a larger issue as well. All right, Washington State, not D.C., but Washington State, one of the areas where you first had the outbreak in, in, uh, in it's like a senior living facility, a nursing home. Washington State's been closed down. So their governor has all sorts of different rules, just like our governor has different rules as to what can open up. Here's what they said yesterday. They are considering allowing restaurants to open up. But here's the deal. Any restaurant that opens up for for inside dining, in addition to all the other things about the servers wearing masks and having to, to space out tables, etc., any restaurant that reopens for inside dining would be required, required under the law, to create a daily log of their customers, maintaining their customers' comings and going. They would have to... When so, in other words, when, when somebody comes into the restaurant, you would have to sign in. They would log the time you came into the restaurant, your name, your contact information, telephone, email, contact, and then they would keep track, and when you left the restaurant, they would log you out. And they would be required to keep track of that for 30 days. The idea being, in case somebody... In case somebody got got COVID nineteen, um, and they were trying to do contact tracing, they and the person said, "Well, I, you know, I, I ate at I ate at you know Jeff's Beanery on on Tuesday the twelfth. What they could do is they could go back and then they could find all the other. They go over to Jeff's Beanery and they find all the other people who had eaten at Jeff's Beanery that day, and then they could immediately notify them." So th- this is this is the rule. It doesn't apply to other businesses. It applies to just restaurants. You've got to log in, take all the contact information, and then keep track of when the person leaves, and then make that available for the government to take a look at. All right? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think about that I- idea that as a condition of reopening businesses now in this case it's directed at the restaurants presumably because i guess maybe you're going to be spending maybe more time in the restaurants but but is this a good idea and 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 if it's a good idea should you just limit it to restaurants should the government be saying okay anytime you go into a, a business you know if you you go into that costco you know you sign in and then you have to put your name and your contact information, and then you have to log out when you leave. So if somebody comes down with this, if somebody gets sick and they say they were at that Costco, we can go back and we can find all the people that were at that Costco at the same time. Now, again, in Washington, they are applying this just, just to restaurants. But I guess my question is, okay, how do you feel about that? And if it's a good idea, if it is a good idea to make you log in and log out, 
should we be extending this beyond the restaurants? I mean, should you have to sign in and sign out anytime you go into a business? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. All right, is this a reasonable concession? Sign in, sign out, so government can find you to warn you if somebody that you may have come into contact with might have gotten sick. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, the condition that Washington State is setting, one of the conditions for reopening restaurants, is that anybody who goes into a restaurant has to give them their contact information. The restaurant has to log them in, log them out, keep the records for 30 days. The idea presumably being if somebody two weeks later is identified as coming down with COVID-19, you could go back and you could find everybody else that ate at the restaurant, and then you could tell them, hey, somebody that ate at that restaurant the day you ate at the restaurant has it, and then they can presumably go to get tested or whatever. My question, I guess, is if this is a good idea, if it's worth this effort, why, why would we just limit it to restaurants? I mean, if if we really think that this is going to make it easier to identify people who might have been exposed to this, shouldn't this be a requirement all across the board? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's just a couple of texts before we go to the phone lines. Jeff, take whatever info you want. Just let me eat at the restaurants. Jeff, it's totally big brother. Yes, it, it is. Jeff, no way. Police can't even do that unless they have a warrant and you commit a crime. Jeff, you know how credit card work, right? Well, yeah, so if you pay for a credit card, it'll show that you were at the restaurant. But but then, so you subpoena the restaurant information? I don't know. Um, so, Jeff, after you've been at dinner, if and when you get sick, do you have to volunteer that information? How else would that info g- gathering work? Well, yeah, it presumably would, because um, that, that's the whole idea behind the contract contact tracing. You go in, you're not feeling well, they do the test, you test positive, and then what they do, and that's how contract contact tracing works now, you say you try to recreate all the places that you've been in the last two weeks or, or whatever. So they would take that information. You said, hey, I ate at Jeff's place two weeks ago. So they go back, they pull those records, they get all the contact information from everybody else, and then they notify you that, hey, somebody that ate at that restaurant that day you know, has tested this, so... Proceed accordingly. Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Steve in Amro. Steve, you're first. Good afternoon. Uh, yes, sir. I'm just uh, There's a feed mill in uh, our area that requires that you sign in whenever you walk in the facility. Right. And it's basically for the same reason. Uh, we haven't... I haven't thought about it any further than that, but like I say, I boy, we start extending that to just about everything. I I'm just afraid it's too much information for Big Brother. Uh, I I I don't like it. Yeah, no, th- thanks for call. I appreciate. It. Well, I mean, like in in you know when when I when I used to go into the, into the office, um, for well, we have. We have electronic card keys as employees, so they can, and, and mine is unique, so they can tell when I, I've entered the building, they can tell when I've exited the building, they can tell you, you need to swipe the card key when you go into our studio area. So, because originally, 
that that was our plan. We were at, at the company. We were going to set up the, this login thing so you could tell you know where people were and when. And, and then they recognized well with employees, since you've got these card keys, you, you can tell where people are and you can tell when you can go back and you can recreate that. Visitors, yeah, I mean at the place I worked at, you know, visitors had to log in and log out and, and who you were here to see. And I know that the businesses do that. That's of course dramatically different than than retail places having to to do this and i guess the the issue i have is why just single out restaurants i mean if this is if this is what we need to do and we think it's worth the effort which is i guess where i'm i'm still wrestling with is this worth all the effort are you really going to identify uh, enough people who've been exposed that then you subsequently reach out to them is it is it really going to be worth the effort that's there now from you know candidly I'm trying to think of some of the restaurants that I like to go to, and and you know, we call to make reservations. And if they say, hey, you know, we we want your contact information, and you're going to log when you were here and when you leave, do I have an issue with it? I, I guess not. I'm just not sure it's worth all the effort. But again, I don't understand why you do this for restaurants and not do it for hardware stores, and not do it for Costco, and not do it for grocery stores. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Joe in Appleton. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. I don't think it's a good idea. I think it's a really bad idea for, you know, the long list of ramifications that you could just go on and on about um, as far as Big Brother is concerned. But I had a question for you. Um, this has been rattling around in my head um, about the laws that, the, the, you know, the label law for a lot of these things that are coming up kind of off the cuff, it seems like. And when it comes to someone following the law, that makes sense. You'll abide by the law for none of the reasons and consequences that that law brings in a court of law. And these aren't being, I don't believe these are laws in the first place because they're coming across really fast. And I, I don't know how a law is passed in the legislature, but I thought it took both sides and it took some time. And this right. just seems to be the, the label laws that should be passed around. And if someone were to just decide, okay, not in this case, because this seems like, sign in would be people would be like well where do i sign in people are going to do it if i mean you already sign into restaurants i mean there, you know there's restaurants where you sign in you don't know why you're doing it you just do it because it's there but um um and you said how does that apply to other places okay Right. Oh, well, th- thanks for calling. I, I, no, I get. It. I mean, I think your overall question is: Is this a law that is passed by the legislature and signed by the governor? No. It, it, it's it's a rule. What happens is the legislature gives the governor broad power in times of emergencies to enact rules, and so that's. But the, the rules can have penalties for their violation. I mean, thanks for the call. I mean, it's, but so yeah, you, you can. They can, and, and that's why. You know, we have these. That's where you have the story out of Texas with the the salon owner who who reopens. That's not in violation of a law. It's in violation of of a rule that they had imposed, and then she gets thrown into jail for contempt of court when she refuses to follow the rule. So that's kind of how the whole thing plays out, right? It's it's not technically a law because the legislature passes the law. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You should be fighting for our freedom. You seem very flippant about the liberties afforded to us in the Constitution. Well, okay. Let's let's. 
Let's take this in perspective. The Constitution doesn't say anything about how you have a right to eat in a private restaurant without giving your name. I mean, so let's let let us not go overboard with that particular argument. To me, the question is: Is it a reasonable sort of thing? My issue with the restaurants is that if you're going to do it, if you think it's worth doing, why why don't you do it all across the board? Why do you end up singling out the restaurants? And then the bigger question is: Is is it really going to be worth doing? Are you going to identify that many people that it's going to be make it worth the time and the effort and the the trouble of of this? Um, so uh, here's a text. So for contract tasting, testing to be tracing to complete, you would have to log in everywhere, not just diners. That that seems to me unlikely. Yeah, um, I think. You know that that's it. You would have to you know log in in everywhere because th- that's part of the thing. And somebody says at restaurants you have to take your mask off to eat, not at retail. Well, okay, there's a lot of lot of stores that don't require you to wear masks. Some people choose to do that. Other people don't. Some stores require it. Some some don't. I mean, it it just seems to me that it is an imprecise way at, at best. But this could very well be the, the future of this, saying, all right, if, if you're going to be going out in public and you're going to be interacting with other people, what we're going to do is we're going to require a monitoring of your activities. So we, we know where you were and when you were, all in the idea of, of us being able to, to track you down. If it goes to that, my guess is, just my opinion, my guess is that sooner or later they're going to find it's really not worth the effort. By that I mean that they're just they're not going to identify through these various processes uh, enough people that were exposed and then actually caught it and, and then moving on. I guess I would say maybe we want to spend more of our effort concentrating on the areas where we know there are huge outbreaks, which are, again, the, the assembly lines, the meatpacking plants, the elderly, the assisted living facilities, those places where we know a good percentage of the reported COVID-19 cases have actually come from. Concentrate our effort in identifying that. Start your contact tracing there, and then worry about this other stuff later on. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. All right. There were a series of elections yesterday, um, election being watched out in California, a congressional race to fill the remainder of a Democrat seat. Um, uh, they, they won't know the results for a couple days because it's mail-in voting. But with 76 percent of the precincts reporting, the Republican held a 12 percentage point lead, suggesting that uh, this this was in the Los Angeles suburbs is where this was. This might be uh, the, the first time that the Republicans have taken a Democratic congressional seat and flipped it since 1998. So, I, again, it, it's one seat, uh, and it's arguably a Republican, or it should have been a Republican-leaning district, or at least a closely watched district. Um, that, that was a sort of a bellwether, at least as to whether or not how unpopular President Trump is. And then, of course, locally, or at least statewide, you had the election. Sean Duffy, of course, who represented the 7th Congressional District, which was central Wisconsin to northwest Wisconsin. Sean Duffy stepped down last November. The seat has been vacant for eight months. Don't even get me started on that story. The runoff election was held yesterday, and State Senator Tom Tiffany won substantially beat his Democratic opponent, uh, uh, Tricia Zunker, by 12 to 14 
points. Now, I guess you got to actually it was 14 points. You have to you have to look at this. President Trump carried that district by 20 points. So it's a heavily Republican leaning district. Uh, Tiffany won one big. So I, I think it's tough for people to try again to draw, draw any sort of conclusions other than the fact that at least in the 7th Congressional District in Wisconsin, there, there wasn't a great deal of Trump fatigue. I mean, it, Tiffany won big. It's a heavily Republican district. It continued to be a heavily Republican district. The, Tiffany is going to have to run for re-election in November, so he's only going to be in office for a few months before he runs again. Uh, his opponent is going to run against him, but there's really nothing to suggest that the results in November are going to be much different. Uh, Republicans hold serve in this one. All right, back with much more in just a couple minutes. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. I, this, this next story just kind of caught my attention, and it's one of those where I would offer some free legal advice from a recovering attorney, and, and that, that advice that advice fits into just a couple of word category. Actually, seven words. For the love of God, go home. For the love of God, go home. The story involves John Dickert, who is the former mayor of the city of Racine. The guy was the mayor, Democratic politician, uh, lefty mayor of Racine um, from 2009 to 2017. He, he stepped down from that gig, didn't run for re-election, uh, took a job with one of these environmental type of groups. The headline in the story that I am looking at, this is made nat- uh, statewide news, former Racine mayor John Dickert charged for parking lot fight. Okay, now, so I admit this is this has gotten my attention because you you don't often see. First of all, you, you you just don't see that kind of headline involving former politicians. Maybe some, but but not typically. So here's here's apparently what happened. Sunday, these are according to the criminal complaint. Sunday, March twenty second, four o six p.m. Mount Pleasant Police Department officers responded to a Piggly Wiggly fifty two o one Washington Avenue after receiving 911 calls about a fight in the grocery store parking lot. Right, so now this has also gotten my attention. It's a Piggly Wiggly grocery store. I mean, who gets in a fight in a Piggly Wiggly grocery store parking lot, much less the I don't know, 57-year-old former mayor of Racine? All right, so according to the complaint, the two suspects involved in the fight were identified as former Racine Mayor John Dickert, 57, and 19-year-old Christian Reynoso, both of Racine. Police spoke with Reynoso, so that's the 19-year-old, who had bloody knuckles and scratches and red marks on his neck. Reynoso, that's the 19-year-old, said he was in a hurry while driving to work when he saw Dickert driving and videotaping him. Reynoso said that Dickert pulled into the parking lot, and he, Reynoso, followed him and asked him why he was recording him. I'm sure that's exactly how he said it. Excuse me, sir, why were you filming me? Reynoso claims that Dickert got out of his car, approached his passenger side window, and leaned on his car. When he told Dickert to get off of his car, Reynoso said Dickert refused and walked around to the driver's side of the vehicle. Reynoso said Dickert said something like, do you think you're a tough guy? 
Huh. Now, let me just stop it there. Now, I don't know how accurate this is, but uh, I'm, I'm a couple years older than, than Dickert is. The, the idea that I'm going to pull into a Piggly Wiggly parking lot and get into a verbal confrontation with some 19-year-old guy is just absolutely beyond me because, I don't know, especially in today's day and age, you know, the chances are, you know, 6'5", pick them, that the 19-year-old guy is carrying a gun. and you know, this, But anyway, so, so Dickert, this is the guy's story. Dickert's videotaping him. He pulls into the Piggly Wiggly parking lot, gets out of his car, and confronts him. Reynoso said he then started to get out of the car. Dickert grabbed him by the neck throat area and pushed him into his vehicle. Reynoso said he punched Dickert three to five times and that Dickert also punched him. So the 19-year-old kid's story is Dickert was videotaping me. He followed me into this parking lot. He started yelling at me. I got out of the car, and we had this dust-up. Okay, that, that's the 19-year-old story. My guess is that there's, there's a little more to it than that. Dickert told police that he saw a vehicle behind him driving at a high speed. He said he pulled into the parking lot, and Reynoso pulled up next to him and made an obscene gesture at him. He said the two got out of their cars. Let me just leave that again. I, and again, I'm trying to picture this. If I've got some... Let us take it in, in the light most favorable to the story that's being told. If I've got some 19-year-old punk who's driving like a bat out of you-know-where, pulls around me fast, I, I'm, you know, I'm, and then who makes an obscene gesture at me. I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I'm going to call the police or whatever. I, I'm not going to pull into the parking lot and jump out of my car. It, it's just not going to happen. He said the two got out of their cars. This is Dickard's version. And Reynoso said, what's your blanking deal, man? Dickert said that he told Reynoso he did not have a problem, but confronted Reynoso about his driving habits. I'm sure that's exactly how it went down as well. Well, well, son, I, I don't have any sort of individual problem with you, but do you know that you were speeding and driving a little bit too close to me? And, and I just wanted to explain to you how dangerous that could be. I doubt that that's exactly how that went down either. There was, according to the former mayor, an exchange of words, and Reynoso threw the first punch. Dickert was seen to have had blood on his clothes and a cut on his che- uh, cheek. Surveillance footage from Piggly Wiggly reportedly showed Dickert walk to the driver's side of Reynoso's car. Dickert and Reynoso both took a boxing stance and, and tried to strike one another and fell to the ground, at which point it appeared that Reynoso struck Dickert four times. So the former mayor gets into a dust-up with the 19-year-old punk. They get into a fight, and surprise follows surprise. The 19-year-old punk uh, wins. The two stand up, and then Dickert is seen hitting Reynoso twice in the head and face. Reynoso then grabs Dickert, and two others then step in and try to stop the fight. One witness said it appeared Reynoso started the fight, while two others said it appeared that Dickert hit Reynoso four to five times before Reynoso hit him back. Um, dot, dot, dot. Although Reynoso was listed as a co-defendant in the criminal complaint, no formal charges had been filed against him. Oh, okay, I, I just... Again, I listen, I, I read this story, and, and I think I, I have a pretty good idea, uh, again, of, of what happened here, that you have this kind of, you know, dust-up between the two. Uh, the, the, the 19-year-old kid is driving like a, 
uh, a 19-year-old kid. The former mayor gets hacked off, starts videotaping him, pulls into the parking lot, and then this confrontation ensues where it sounds like that, that both of them behaved not like a 19-year-old or a 57-year-old, but both of them behaved about like nine-year-old kids on, on a schoolyard, and, and now there have been charges. I guess I, I look at this, and I go back to the way we started this, though. Again, free legal advice from a recovering lawyer here, especially directed at the 57-year-old guy who should know better. For the love of God, go home. <laughs> I mean, really. Think about all the different types of things. How how unhinged do you have to be that you're going to track down some 19-year-old, okay, let's look at it in the worst-case scenario, some 19-year-old punk, and you're going to follow him into a Piggly Wiggly parking lot, you're going to get out of your car, and you're going to confront them. I mean, this is... You know, Dickert is lucky that it sounds like he just, you know, lost a fight, which he may have started. I don't know one way or the other. But he's lucky that, again, this kid wasn't carrying a gun. The 19-year-old, I say kid, but the 19-year-old wasn't carrying a gun. And instead of us talking about, you know, how silly it is for an elected official or former elected official to be duking it out in the parking lot on a Sunday afternoon of a Piggly Wiggly with a 19-year-old, instead we could have easily been talking about how, hey, you know, you know, former politician, you know, murdered or shot, you know, in in parking lot after confronting, you know, driver. It's just, it's just absolutely, you know, bizarre. Um, let's see. One of our texters says, I hope they were both wearing masks. Always set a good example. <clears throat> Jeff, your new rule, nothing ever happened, good happens confronting someone about their driving habits in a piggly wiggly parking lot at any hour. Yeah, that's true. Of course, you know, Wagner's rule of life number four is nothing good happens outside a strip club at two in the morning. Yeah, I think maybe... Maybe we could modify it in this particular situation to say nothing good happens confronting teenagers over driving habits, getting out of your car, and getting into it with them in a piggly-wiggly parking lot. Nothing good can happen. The advice, again, go home. Take their license plate. Call the police. Do the videotape and forward the video if you want. But provoking confrontations... Um, I, I think I think former Mayor Dickert is lucky, candidly, that he's only been cited for, you know, his role in the fight, and that he's apparently only got some bruises and scrapes because this could have turned really bad, really fast. When we come back, I want to talk about the postal service and whether or not you'd miss mail service if it went away. It's going to be an interesting conversation. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I, I still just can't get over that story. You're, you know, you're 57 years old. At some point in time, you would think that you would realize that my, you're, to the extent you ever had days of picking fights with people in grocery store parking lots, to the extent that you ever had those, you would think that by the time you hit 57, those days have kind of been long past. You almost want to say, and again, I don't know who's right or who's wrong. It's just kind of like, hey, Peter Pan, grow up. You don't want to be getting, nothing good happens from getting into a physical altercation in a Piggly Wiggly store parking lot with some 19-year-old, because chances are you're, you're going to end up losing, if nothing else. All right. I am going to, I think, break with some Republican politicians when I, I say this, but I think the Postal Service is an important national resource. I do not think it can be allowed to go under, Period. Now, you might say, okay, Jeff, why, why do, you, do you say that? And it's not just because I, I like, uh, over the years, 
had various places I've lived. I've had various male guys. I, as a matter of fact, we. This is a little secret. We we I have a lot of people who over the years have listened to me while a lot of mail carriers while they're out on their mail routes. And I know technically the rules say they're not supposed to be like listening to the radio, but I know they do because I hear from them. So I, I, I appreciate that. And maybe I've just been really, really fortunate. But the, the, I, I knew the mail carriers that delivered, you know, to my house in, in Whitefish Bay. And um, I, I know the mail carriers that deliver to where I live now. And they're very nice. And they're, matter of fact, I, I was talking to one of my current mail carriers and the, the other day. And it, it, I really appreciated the attention because what had happened is, um, let, let's say it's a Tuesday. They had dropped, they, they put some mail in the mailbox on, on Tuesday. So I had gone out, I was, after the show, I was taking the dog for a walk, and I go and I open the mailbox, and there was a couple pieces of what I will call junk mail, and then there was one just letter. So I, I opened the letter up, and I, I kind of looked at it, and then because I didn't want to carry the stuff with me when we went on a walk, I just put, I put it back into the mailbox. So there were a couple pieces of junk mail, and then there was this opened letter. Well, it, you know, a couple of days later, I happened to be outside when the mail carrier came by, and he said, hey, I, there's been something that's been bothering me for a couple of days because that, that, the Wednesday, the next day after this happened, I went back, and I, I saw that, gee, there was a letter that I had delivered on Tuesday, and it was, like, opened in, in your mailbox. And I was worried, gosh, is somebody coming around and opening that? And I said, no, and I just explained the story. But I really, I, I thought that was a cool thing to do. He had noticed it. He cared. He remembered that. He was worried that, gee, did, did somebody come around and, like, open this mail? I, I thought that was the kind of personal touch which I absolutely loved. And I understand it is a tough time for the U.S. Postal Service right now. They're, they're going through a lot of stuff. The, here's the reality. People, it, it used to be people would write letters and send them through the mail. All right, some people still do that. Some people still send cards. But let's face it, how do a lot of us communicate regularly now? We, we, we use email. We use email for businesses. We use email for our, our friends. So maybe 20 years ago, uh, if I have a friend who lives in another state, what I would do is, Maybe I'd sit down, and I'd write a letter, I'd put a stamp on it, I'd send it off. Nowadays, what, what do I do? I, I send an email, I send a text, etc. That That's how we communicate. So you've got that that's going, that, that's going down. Secondly, when it comes to like delivery of packages and things like that, you have a lot more competition. You know, not just UPS and FedEx. The, the Postal Service gets a chunk of that, but... but there's all these other delivery services that are out there, and, and they're very competitive. Third, what happens is the Postal Service, which even though it is a privately run company, the, the government still exerts control. And the Postal Service can't cut people or close offices without the permission of the government. Now, remember a couple years ago what happened? The, the Postal Service was, was looking at business, and they had across the country, but in, in Milwaukee in particular, they had a number of, of local offices which were, we're going to use the euphemism, they were underused. If you, had, if you had a private business and you had a gas station here and another gas station, I don't know, half a mile away or, or two miles away, what you would do if one of those gas stations was underperforming, what you would do is you would close the underperforming gas station and you try to direct most of the business to the to the one that was achieving it. Well, okay, what the mail what the postal service wanted to do is they, they wanted to close the underperforming post offices. But they need permission from Congress to do that. And then you have every congressperson 
this case, it was, Gwen Moore was just going absolutely nuts. How can you close these post offices in my district? You know, yes, maybe it's not generating enough to keep them open, but you can't close them because my constituents need it, et cetera, et cetera. And then you get the mayor that's involved. And that plays out. So you, you can't close post offices. You have difficulty kind of cutting routes. You have severe limitations that are put on you. And to top it all off with the Postal Service, most private companies that maintain pensions, they don't fully fund the pension system. What they do is they're required to maybe have, uh, I I don't know, whatever the number would be, 75, 80% of their future pension obligations. That's all they have to have currently. That's why if if you happen to be somebody who maybe you're entitled to a pension at some point in time in the future, you'll get a notice every year, and it'll say, okay, this is how much is in that pension fund that's there, and then they'll show you a percentage of of what that is for the obligations. It's not 100%. Postal service, they have to have 100%. So you, you've got this huge amount of money that's there. So the, the deck is completely stacked against the, the, the Postal Service being able to operate because even though it is a private business, it's not a private business because government has its fingers in it. On top of all this, let's, let's look at what is going on now in the world. Businesses are shut down. Businesses don't know when they're going to be coming back, and it, it's not just a question of essential or non-essential businesses. It's just, I mean, you, you got businesses that could be open, but they're, they're not open now because there's no demand. You know, people aren't ready to spend money. So it, it's particularly brutal. The estimate is that they, they think over the next 18 months, the Postal Service could lose $23 billion billion dollars. Let me just leave that number out there. 23 billion. It's staggering. And um, total mail volume down roughly by a third right right now. That's even with like the increased deliveries of some packages. And and the bottom line is the the postal service is saying, "Look, we we can't operate like this." And you know, the choice you really have is to loan us billions of dollars, and I say loan in quotation marks, or recognize that that we may go under and there's a number of politicians who just say look the, the postal service is an anachronism we we don't need mail delivery anymore it's like the landline telephone you know what what is the big deal people will figure out a way to adapt i understand there's some people who still have landlines and love them but but that's not too many people people will figure out a way to adapt now the politics of this is that also you have democrats who the, the postal service is heavily unionized that's a form of support so the democrats want to like step up and say okay you know we we don't want to cut these union jobs and the republicans tend to be perhaps more anti-union but it, but those are the dynamics that are going on. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't think you can let the Postal Service go under. I, I, I just don't. And, and the way the – see, the game, to me, is rigged against the Postal Service because, again, we, we don't let the Postal Service make decisions – that, that otherwise businesses would make. Hey, okay, we've got these postal, post offices that are underperforming. We're closing them down. Or, you know, we're going to maybe go to four-day-a-week mail delivery if we think that's, that's going to cut costs, all those different things. But, but I, I just don't think you can let it go under. 
I don't think we're at that point now where we simply say, okay, we'll get by with, with email and use these private parties to deliver this. And I recognize that that means that there's probably going to have to be substantial public sub subsidies to carry it. But, you know, highways don't pay for themselves, and uh, you know, roadways don't pay for themselves, and rail doesn't pay for itself, and buses don't pay for themselves, and Lord knows Tom's trolley doesn't pay for itself. I just don't think you can close down the post service, postal service and stop mail delivery. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is 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 the Postal Service and is mail delivery, is it a dinosaur? I mean, should we just simply say, again, the best example is, Jeff, landlines are going away, that the days of personal delivery of mail are going away. Nobody gets anything in the mail anymore now except junk mail and, and bills, and you can figure out a way to pay stuff online if you'd have to. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, hold on, please. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Sandy in Stevens Point. Sandy, good afternoon. Hello, Jeff. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. Is it time to get rid of the Postal Service? It's expensive. Absolutely not. And the reason I, you know, my feeling is that I think our world is so focused on the age group of 20 to, let's say, 60. There are a lot of people out there, let's say 60 and over, that are computer illiterate. What, why do, we're not ever thinking about these people that are still writing checks, putting their bills in the mail. Um, you know, I use, the, I use the post office, um, mm -hmm. and I, I just think that, you know, I'm thinking about the people that don't know how to go onto the Internet and pay their bills. And, you know, what about them? Right, or the people who don't have Internet access. I mean, there, there right, are a lot exactly. of people who fit into that category. We, we saw that with the, whole, the whole, um, you know, with the whole school things where, you know, it's some, some people have it, some people don't. Would you say that your use of the Postal Service has gone down dramatically in the last, let's say, five or ten years? Dramatically, no. I would say it's gone okay. down a bit, but not dramatically. You know, and then uh, on the other side of the spectrum, um, FedEx, they have their smart post. That's their least expensive um, service that they offer. There's a lot, a lot of packages that move through that smart post business. What happens to right. that? Right. No, exactly. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. No, the, the, these are all the questions that are out there. Now, I mean, the, you know, the argument, and, and by the way, I, I'm, I'm not an advocate for it. I mean, I, I, think, I think the Postal Service is important. I, I think my solution has been I would take some of the handcuffs off them. I would let them operate more as a business. I, I'd let them close the underperforming, you know, post offices. I mean, do, why, why do you need two post offices within a mile of each other for within a mile and a half of each other if one of them isn't producing? I mean, I, I'd allow some of that to go in. I, I'd dramatically readjust the whole pension plan where they have to be, you know, fully funded, which to, to me, we, we don't require other businesses to do that. But I, I do think it, it provides a service. I mean, do I use the postal service less now than I did 10 years ago? Yeah. The, the biggest thing is I, I just, I almost never write letters now nowadays. If I write a letter... It's normally, if 
it's normally like a sympathy letter. If somebody I, I know has passed away, maybe I'll, I'll sit down and I, because I think it's more personal than just an email, I, I'll write a note to their spouse or to their mom or, or whatever. I, I've done that. Um, I, I paying bills, I would say that electronically, of my regular bills, my guess is I probably pay 80% online you know you get the you, you get the bill online it comes into my email account you know you, you open it up and then I just I go over and, and I pay it electronically so I, I'm, I'm not using stamps and things like that but I would say maybe 20 percent of, of the bills I, I haven't switched to that yet I, I still get them and I still pay them by the mail but I use it less I mean I acknowledge that but it doesn't mean that there's not a value to it Alec um, Alice in DeForest Alice you're on WTMJ hello hello Thank you, Jeff, for taking my call. Um, sure. I agree with you that the post offices should not be closed. And I also, uh, the gal just ahead of me kind of brought up the point I was going to bring up. I have two sisters that live in the country. Uh, they do not have email, and they rely on on the mailman. Um, they, yep. they pay their bills through the mail, get their bills through the mail. Um, and also um, talking about closing post offices in smaller towns, I understand there's a lot of people in uh, these small towns um, that people go to the post office to get their mail. They have a box at the post mm-hmm. office, and they do not have delivery in those towns because they're so small. Right. So there would go their means of getting their mail. Yeah, I have to, Alice. Thank, so, yeah, no. Uh, thanks for calling. No, I know. I with. I guess when when I was thinking about the postal service, what I was really the, the ones that really kind of set me off is where like in large urban areas, like like the the stories were in Milwaukee. They they did this. They did a, a study a couple of years ago, and they found that you know you had a couple of these postal office post offices which were substantially underperforming. And again, if if you had a private sector model, you would you would consolidate. You would say, okay, well let's. Let's if we've got again. My example was, in, you know, if we've got three three postal facilities in a four mile radius, and you know, two of the three are underperforming. Why don't we consolidate the operations? And yes, it makes it a little more inconvenient for some people because they have to travel a little bit farther, and that that's not a good thing. But it, it's what you would do in the private sector. It's how you would try to figure out a way to make the stuff more financially viable. But the post office, we, we don't we don't let them do that, so they really don't have a chance. You know, we. we we, we, we say, okay, well, you know, we want you to make money, and we want you to act and behave and, and use private sector models, but then we're not going to let you do it, which it's, to me it's not fair. But to your point, yeah, I think you're exactly right. It's, you know, maybe in certain more urban areas of the country it's not as big a deal, but, you know, this is a, it's a big country, and I, I just you just can't, I think, flip a switch and say we're going to get rid of mail carriers or that delivery. Now, can you tweak it? Yes. Now, I, I just, for example, do I like getting mail six days a week? Yeah, I, I do. I, I still like going out to the mailbox and seeing, you know, what, what's in there. Could you do it with less? Yes. Now, the question is, and whenever we've talked about this, I have some really smart people who say you really, because of the staffing stuff and all, because of the way it's set up, you really wouldn't save that much money by going to a a five or four day a week system than than you do with the six. I I don't know the merits of that, but but again, I should you be able to maybe tweak some stuff? Sure. But you know, because you can't let 
you, you can't let an entity lose $23 billion in 18 months. You know, that, that's, that's an enormous amount. So you've got to figure out what you're going to do. But there's got to be some alternative other than just closing down the shop. Mary in Milwaukee. Mary, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello there. Thanks for taking my call as well. Yes, ma'am. Uh, two points. Um, first of all, not quite so important probably, unless you're a reader like I am, but uh, magazine deliveries come through the mail yet, and I'm not necessarily a fan of trying to read those online. Some companies will send out their catalogs. I mm-hmm. like seeing and being able to flip pages in a catalog better than doing it online. But even more so, in this time of year, you get all the warnings about the uh, scams for this is not an IRS person calling you, don't respond. They don't call. They send a letter. So right. what happens to to any government, whether it's federal, state, right. county, city, if they right. are used to sending something out via mail because that is the secure way, now they've got to figure out how do we do this via email and have people assured that, yes, this is yeah. confidential, this is secure. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because, I mean, you're, you're right. The way the government communicates with people in, in general still is through the mail. You're exactly right. You know, if, if somebody calls you and says, hey, your, your Social Security thing has been hacked, no, they're going to reach out. They're, gonna, they're going to send you a letter telling you. Then they might give you some contact information, but you're right. No, thanks to call, Mary. We're just not at the point now. And, again, I, if we have this conversation 15 years from now, Maybe I'll have a different position on it. I, maybe I, I, you know, because I mean things are things are evolving. I I know we, we talk about this with landline phones, and and you're, this is from the perspective of somebody who was not an early adopter when it came to this. I can't tell you how much I can't tell you how long we I kept my my landline phone after I just essentially stopped using it, and then a few years ago you know i ended up dropping it and I, I haven't looked back haven't haven't missed it but but i understand that there's some people in this country particular particularly like in some rural areas where there's not great internet service and the satellite service isn't great where okay you know having the, the cell phone that's kind of an iffy iffy proposition you you need that i also understand that it, it is sort of a generational thing and there's some people who just still love the landline phones do I think landline phones are going to go the way of the dinosaur at some point in time? Yes. Is that going to be two years from now or five years from now or ten years from now? I don't know. But there will be a time when the landline phone is not offered anymore. I, I just I, I firmly believe that. Don't know when. And maybe there's going to be a time when you don't need the postal service anymore. We are not at that point yet. I've just been um, swamped with texts. Um, our Actually, my, my first text, I'm not going to read his name, but I, mean, I made the reference that there, you know, we have a lot of people that listen to the show when they're delivering mail. I, I know that even though they're technically not supposed to. So very first uh, text we get is, I'm not going to read his name, but he says, Jeff, I'm delivering mail in Milwaukee. Keep up the good fight. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Um, Jeff, the Postal Service can't fail. We need it, but not in 1940s, 50s, or 60 business model. Um, yeah, and then he goes on to offer some suggestions of that. Uh, you know, Jeff, I worked for the Postal Service for a short time. One of the problems is when they did make money in the past, unlike private businesses, any money left over, the government took. So there was virtually Virtually no real uh, money that there was. Um, Jeff, I'm not quite what quite ready to give up on the postal service. Um, I could easily get by with less delivery. Well, yeah, that's and, and again, 
when I've talked about this before, some people say that you just wouldn't save that much money. But at the same time, I think it's something that you have to explore. Do you have 55 cents to send a letter anywhere in the U.S. is a bargain. You know, that's even with the um, even with the, uh, you know, increases that, that they've had. It's still a bargain. Um, in any event, this is an issue that's playing out in Congress. There's a lot of money involved, a lot of politics involved. We're not ready to give up the Postal Service yet. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I was as excited as anybody when they announced that Milwaukee had scored the Democratic National Convention for the summer of 2020. Why? It's not my side of the aisle, but I thought it was going to be cool to, you know, be able to participate and be able to do my radio show from the radio row there. I thought, it'd be, I thought it would be fun. But the, the real reason was, as somebody who, you know, look, the politics they they always say politics stops at kind of like the water's edge you know when it comes to politics also stops when it comes to you know money for communities and if you want to talk about something that would have been absolutely outstanding exactly what southeastern wisconsin needed especially after all the stuff that collectively businesses here and elsewhere have gone through it would have been 50,000 people pouring into southeastern Wisconsin, into this region this summer, people filling up the hotels, people packing the restaurants. Just think about that, packing the restaurants. How long is it going to be before we have restaurants that are packed, piling into the bars? You know, just, again, all these different things and and spending money with them. That's why it was just such a, a great thing. And then... Along comes COVID-19 and coronavirus, and and the bottom just completely and totally falls out of this. Now, I know the organizers have been trying to, you know, put the best face possible on this. But I've been watching this happen over the course of the last month or two. And, I mean, again, I I live in the real world, and you're, you're watching... All the summer festivals have effectively been been canceled. The the only one left is is State Fair, and I, I don't have any insight, but I don't see how they're going to be able to pull State Fair off at the end of July. You know, EAA gets canceled. You canceled. You've got you know sporting events that if 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 we have baseball this summer, and that's a, a big if, it's not going to be forty five thousand people packed into Miller Park. It's going to be some variation of that. But essentially, we've canceled Fourth of July events. We we've lost the summer and it's not just us in southeastern wisconsin we've lost the summer across the country and frankly across the world and that is unfortunate but it is the reality of what we live with so i've been watching these stories day after day about well you know we're we've, we're delaying the convention but we still plan to have it we still have to have plan to have those people here and i guess my reaction to all this has been you know you'd like to see it happen but what are these people smoking because I, I just I mean, I'm trying to imagine a situation where in August you're going to have tens of thousands of people that, number one, feel comfortable getting on planes and traveling. Number two, feel comfortable staying in hotels. Number three, feel comfortable gathering in, in close areas. I mean, I, I, I went to a political convention once, and, you know, they, they pack people in, and you're waiting in long security lines to get through, and you've got all this stuff. I just I don't see people doing it as, as, a, as, a, as a practical matter. Plus, 
when it comes to delegates for these conventions, what you need to understand is, in, in general, the delegates are people, they're, they're people like you and me. They're political activists, but they're like you and me. They, they pay their own way. It's not like there's this giant fund that you reach in and everybody gets to travel for free. So I'm trying to think about, you have all these folks, no matter how, how politically active and tuned in and interested you are, but you know, you've been out of work for three months or furloughed for three months or maybe you've lost your job or, or whatever. I mean, how many people are going to have the dough to travel halfway around the country to, you know, attend a, a political event. It's just you put all this stuff together, and, and the reality is I just don't see how it can happen. So despite all these different pronouncements, and let, let's try to put our best face forward, which I get, you, you're now starting to hear that the, the Democrats, um, they, they've changed the rules, and they have uh, allowed the people – you know, who are overseeing this to change the format, the size, and the dates of the event. They're also going to allow this, or at least given the green light, to people to allow a, a virtual, like, remote voting, which to me, I mean, makes eminent sense. We, we just, we don't have conventions. The, the Northwestern Mutual Agents aren't coming to Milwaukee, you know, in August. That's unfortunate, but they're not. Are they going to still, via Zoom or whatever, are they going to still do their thing? Yes, yes, they are. And it seems to me that that's inevitably what's going to happen here. Will you have anybody here? You know, will Joe Biden be in Milwaukee in a TV studio somewhere, you know, watching as he's nominated to be the Democrat nominee? I don't know. But at some point in time, you get to the point where you say, well, why bother? If we're not going to do the convention like we anticipated, with all the hoopla and all the balloons and the thousands and thousands of people, well, you know, why, why bother? What difference does it make whether you've got a handful of party elders in Milwaukee or in New York or wherever? Let's just recognize that it's a different time. The other, to me, more interesting question isn't are they going to be able to pull off a convention in Milwaukee in 2020? The answer is no. The question to me is do, do we need these political conventions anyways? I mean, if, if, you know, if you're able to do elections by mail and you're able to do all this other stuff remotely, I mean, you get the NFL draft. They did it remotely. People loved it. You know, can't you do the conventions remotely? Do you really need to gather together? And my answer would be probably not. Just some thoughts. All right, when we come back, lots more in today's program, including a major company says to its employees, hey, we love you, but once this is over, don't bother coming back, and a decision that a major university system has made that kind of indirectly impacts me. We'll talk about that and what that means for the future in just a couple minutes. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Um, Greg Matzik, during a sportscast, was, was making reference to what I want to talk about next. I, I just don't see how colleges are going to be able to have students back on campus next semester. Uh, the, the news yesterday was that the California State University system, um, which is it might be the largest in the country, 23 campuses, 500,000 students, announced yesterday that it's canceling their in-person classes and will instead hold them online. Now, this this is the, 
there's the University of California schools, which are like Berkeley and UCLA. That's 10 campuses, but the California State University system is 23 campuses. And this kind of hits home because if you're a regular listener to this program, you know that my, my goddaughter, my, my brother's daughter, my niece, um, she, she is scheduled, she's finishing up her junior year at San Diego State. Really, I mean, look, I acknowledge that I'm, I'm biased, but a really, really smart young woman. She speaks Spanish fluently. She's going to get a degree in international business, and I don't know if she's going to go for an MBA or go to law school or whatever, but she's going to be incredibly successful. But already this, this whole thing has been a significant disruption because at San Diego State, the way it works is you your first semester of your senior year in this program, you're supposed to study abroad. So she was scheduled to somewhere in, I don't know if it was Madrid or Barcelona, somewhere in Spain. Well, that was canceled a couple months ago, you know, when, when they canceled the the regular classes, they said, "Okay, we're going to waive this study overseas requirement." And now, what they announced yesterday is, you know, they're they're essentially closing down the, the campus. There, there's not going to be in-person instruction, and so now you wrestle with the, these different issues about. Well, okay, you're a year away from graduating. Uh, who knows what they're going to do for second semester? But for first semester, you've already got your apartment, you've signed the lease. But does it make sense to, you know, stay out in San Diego when you're just going to be taking the stuff online? Th- those are all sorts of decisions that I'm sure my brother is going to be grappling with in consultation with with Sydney. But it's it's extremely unfortunate, and I, I know. She, I haven't talked to her since they announced this, but I know she's got to be just extremely bummed out because it's it's your senior year in college. You know, this is it when you're trying to, you know, you know, figure out what your life is going to look like. And in in her case, I it's I don't think she's going to be looking for a job. My guess is, like I say, she's going to go for an MBA or go to law school or or, or whatever. She's got great grades, and so she can pretty much, you know, write her own ticket. We'll be supportive of her regardless. But. But I understand where this is coming from because I'm trying to think about, you know, what what the college experience is like. And you're you're living if you're not living on campus in dorms, you know, you with a whole bunch of people, you're living in a college town where you're either in dorms or you're living in student housing that's near the, the buildings. You, it's not like an elementary school or something where you can take all the students and you can put them in, you know, one classroom. I mean, you've got kids that have all sorts of different case class loads, and some that are working and some that aren't. And you've got all these people that are coming and going, and you're, you know, interacting in the different meal mess. In their case, they have um, these these open areas. It's not like a cafeteria per se, but still, you're 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 sitting down. You're you're surrounded by twenty or thirty thousand other people and you've got all the people that are coming in and servicing this and the more this was going on the more I just kept thinking you know I just I I don't see how you pull off you know in-person college activities university activities in in the next 90 days and so the California state system has now announced look we're we're not even going to try this now, what this means for sports and all that's a whole different story because how can you have a football program how can you have a basketball program, you know, where you've got the athletes on campus training, but you've got nobody else? I mean, how how, how does that work? And, and my answer would be it doesn't. But in any event, this is the first shoe to fall. There's a couple other universities. Harvard, for example, is saying, well, we're not sure we're going to be able to do this. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you think 
we are going to be able to see the colleges and universities reopen for in-person instruction three months from now or three and a half months from now? Or should we just recognize that at least the fall semester of 2020, it's going to be online learning? Figure out how to do it, but let's not even worry about trying to bring kids back. Kids, I'm talking about you know, college students. Bring them back for that college experience. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My guess is, and when I next talk to my niece, um, my, my, my comment is going to be, well, okay, maybe the California State University system with half a million students might have been the first one to do this. My guess is it's not going to be the last. And if you have college-age students, what, what's going to happen here? Do you expect them back on campus in the fall, or do you expect them in their apartment or their bedroom studying online. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Whether or not this is an overreaction, remains to be seen. But there's news yesterday that the California State University System's large, I believe, largest university system in the country, 500 plus thousand kids, including my, my niece, uh, they just sent out a note saying, we're, we're, not, we're not having an in-person fall semester. It's going to be all online learning. We, we hope to see you for the, the spring semester. And I, I think like I was saying a minute ago, this might not be the first university system that said it, but I think you're going to see more and more. And I guess the question is, here in Wisconsin, you know, is it reasonable to expect that we're going to have the students back on campus, in the dorms, in the dining halls, wandering around into the classrooms? Is that reasonable to expect you know, in the next like 90 days, because already we're looking at today is what May 13th, so May, June, July, August. By mid-August, people are going back to school, so that's 90 to 100 days. Um, is that reasonable? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I just spoke to my son at Platteville. They sent out an email yesterday. They are either going to start face-to-face classes late in the fall semester and have spring semesters face-to-face or have fall exclusively online and hopefully spring face-to-face. See, I think you're going to see more and more universities do that just because of the logistics and the dynamics that are there. Now, um, here, interesting point. One of our texters says, Jeff, since young adults are least affected by COVID-19, why don't we let universities go back to normal in the fall? It's time to use some common sense, as you say, by following the numbers, not just doing things that message make people feel safer, but really aren't justified. Well, and another text, Jeff, do the math. You're the, do the math guy, Jeff. People under 20 have very low risk of issues. Keep them open. I, I don't disagree with that. But at the, at the same time, I mean, here, here's the question. This is, where, this is where mom and dad come in. It is true that people in, in their 20s who, again, absent, absent a significant underlying health issue, if you, if you get this virus, 
you're not going to have drastic long-range consequences. That that's just what the odds say. It's not saying it's not possible, but but it's it's what the odds say. The people who die from this tend to fit into certain characteristics, and it's not 22-year-old college students. That that's true. At the same time, it is very very infectious. And I guess the question becomes, you know, what happens if you have if if you have a a school that's got I don't know, twenty to 30,000 kids that are there, and maybe of that, 15,000 live in the dorms or close in in the student housing, and, and, and you have a bunch of kids who get this, and then all of a sudden you have this huge infection rate. Even though most of the, the students, most of the kids are going to get it, they're going to be sick for a few days, then they're going to get better, you're still going to have a lot of people that are having this. So in that, that confined university area where everybody's living on top of each other, the question becomes, would parents put up with this? And, and my sense is that they probably you know, wouldn't. Jeff, what about the professors? What's their age? What about the support staff? What's their age? Well, that's the other thing. I mean, you're going to have, you know, the, the kids get it. It's a Petri dish. You're in this closed-in environment. The adults end up getting it as well. And, again, even if it doesn't lead dramatically to deaths, you're going to have a lot of people that are going to come down with this short-term. I just don't think, especially given that we have a huge chunk of the population right now that's not willing to you know, go into a restaurant, for goodness sakes, and, until there's a vaccine, and that's, that's fine. That's a decision that people end up making. But given that that's the reality that's out there, you know, how are we going to get a general public to accept taking tens of thousands or thousands uh, of people and you know, putting them into close quarters? I just I don't see how that's going to happen. Uh, Jeff, if my son or daughter were one of the college students facing that dilemma in California, I would tell them to take a year off. I think they would miss out too much of the college experience if it was online all the time. Um, yeah, that's that's I, I you know that's the other thing that you kind of hate to see because part of the college experience is 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 interacting with. Is being off on your own and you know interacting with people. I guess in, in the, the situation of, of my niece, she's going to be a senior, so she's had she's had that that college experience for several years, and I think she's kind of at the point. And again, I haven't discussed this in detail with her. I think she's sort of at the point where okay, I, I'm ready. I'm ready to move on to that next phase, whether it's graduate school or law school or getting a job or whatever she decides to do. Like I say, she's going to be incredibly successful at it, but I think she's kind of ready to, to move on. She's had that college experience. But, yeah, especially for people who, uh, you know, coming into school, I mean, if you're a freshman, you're graduating, I mean, you, you've gone through, you're graduating from college, from high school this spring, you're looking forward to getting off on campus, and this is the time I'm, I'm away from my folks, and this is my start of being, you know, a young adult, and I'm going to pledge a fraternity or a sorority, and I'm going to do all this kind of stuff, and um, not, not so much so. So is this going to be the trend? My guess is, yeah, it probably is. And for moms and dads, if you've got college-age kids, I think you might start to have to figure out what plan B is. If plan A was, hey, they're going to be on campus studying, um, maybe not, because I think a lot of dorms are going to be closed. I think a lot of universities are going to be closed, except for online teaching. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Say it with me, moose. 
After giving up the lead in the ninth, Mike Moustakis and the Brewers came to bat in the tenth for a walk-off win in Game 1 of the 2018 NLDS against the Colorado Rockies. Join us tonight. 6 o'clock, as Bob Euchre calls another Brewers Classic. We're one week closer to live Brewers baseball. Brewers Classic is sponsored by Boucher Automotive, Previa, Badger Mutual, Chevrolet, and West Bend Insurance. I love the way that promo is written because we, we don't know when baseball is going to come back. We, we don't know if the Players Association is going to accept the proposal that the owners made to you know, figure out a way to have an abbreviated season. But I love the way they wrote it because there, we're one week closer to live Brewers baseball because it's true. Don't know if that's going to be three weeks from now. Don't know if it's going to be the first week in July. Don't know if it's not going to be till March of 2021. That would be terrible. But we are one week closer to live Brewers baseball. Got to love it. The um, stock market, if you've been following it, it's It's ugly. Uh, the Dow is down 670-some points, which is 2.8%. The Nasdaq's down 228, which is 2.5%. This is all based on the uh, chairman of the, 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 the Federal Reserve saying that um, uh, the outlook is highly uncertain. The Congress and the White House are going to need to print a whole bunch more money to um, make sure that the, the contraction because of coronavirus isn't wasted. And I understand because I, I hear from you, and, and you know who you are. I hear from these people who say, well, we, we can't be in any sort of hurry to, to get people back to work. Um, we, we, we can't be in any sort of rush a, at all. And, and I appreciate that sentiment, but the people that are arguing that just in many respects have no idea, in my opinion, of some of the other real-world consequences of what's going on. In Wisconsin, over 500,000 people unemployed. That, that's just in Wisconsin alone. I, I'm, and even, even once people and businesses start opening up, the problem is going to be, are, are people going to spend? I mean, that's if you've lost your job or you've been furloughed or you don't know if your business is going to be able to make it, well, chances are you're not going to be running out and doing a lot of discretionary spending, and that's going to slow stuff as well. I'm looking at one story after another, and, and again, it's, it's, I don't think this story necessarily gets told because I think there's some folks out there who just assume, well, okay, let's, let's all hibernate until there is a, a vaccination that's available. And if, if that means we all hibernate for two years, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is there, you know, if, if you kill that check chunk of the economy, and I mean kill it, and you have people who don't have jobs or don't have livelihoods to come back to, you start raising all sorts of other issues as well. Uh, Potbelly, um, I, I, I've always liked the milkshakes at Potbelly. Potbelly announcing that um, its sales are plunging, they are considering permanently, they're based out of Chicago, it's the, the sandwich shop, they are considering permanently closing 100 stores. Um, that's that's their kind of idea. They're reporting, like, again, huge losses. They have about 470 restaurants, so they're looking at, at maybe, you know, 20% cuts. Uh, a number of, of large advertisers, General Motors, General Mills, Pepsi, who've made commitments to networks to do advertising, you know, big-time commitments. We're talking about um, enormous amounts of money, billions of dollars in, like, TV advertising and stuff. The story is they're all looking at options they have in their contracts to kind of opt out because they're hurting because their sales are down, and they're wondering about, you know, how, how much can we afford to put into advertising budgets. Bottom line is, th- this is it, it's ugly, and you want to make sure that people aren't exposed to unnecessary risk. But for every day, businesses 
aren't allowed to operate by the government or businesses can't operate in full just because of the market, it, it's, it's brutal. And you've got to consider that as well. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.